Good morning. If you'd like to go ahead and open your Bibles up to the book of Colossians. Colossians, we'll be starting there in just a moment. If you will uh, remember a couple weeks ago, we had continued in the book of Colossians considering the argument that Paul was making and, and, um, in regards to how they were having their heads uh, sort, of, sort of turned away from Christ. They were being turned away from God by philosophical and, and regulatory views that were seen around them and maybe the, uh, the Jews or maybe the Gnostics or in my opinion probably a little bit of, little bit of both. And they were in danger uh, of leaving Christ to follow after these other things. And Paul is reminding them that all they needed, in fact, all that they ever needed was Christ and Him alone. Now again, as I mentioned last, uh, the week before last, that I'm fully aware that whenever someone makes this claim that Christ is all we need, the first voice that they are often confronted with is that of someone shouting, rules, laws, God's, rule has, or God's Word has rules and laws in it. I know that God's Word has rules and laws in it. I'm aware of that. The purpose of this study is to show, however, that strict adherence to some set of rules is not what earns our way to heaven. It is Christ. It is in Him and without Him, as we sometimes sing, I would be nothing. So to continue with that thought, I know that there are rules. <clears throat> I know that there are rules. And, and Paul is going to speak here about those rules in chapter 3. In chapter 3, verses 5 to chapter 4, verse 1, Paul goes into a great detail and discussion about some of the laws that the, the, the Christians, those who belonged and are found in Christ, are called to. But before he does that, he begins by making this statement in chapter 3, verse 1. Therefore, if you have been raised up with Christ, keep seeking, seeking the things that are, um, excuse me, keep seeking the things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. If you have been raised up with Christ. Now we think of that, we oftentimes tie it back to what he got through saying in chapter 2, talking about the, the circumcision and talking about our baptism. And I think that is absolutely applicable. We should look to that. But we should also look back to something greater than that, and that is Christ's resurrection. If you have been raised up with Christ, as Christ was raised from the dead. And maybe that lends us to ask a question. Why did Christ die? Why did God send His Son to be sacrificed on a cross? The answer to that, I believe, is... Well, there are many answers to that, I believe. There are a great number of things we could say about that. But in chapter 1 of Colossians, in verse 21, Paul says, And although you were formerly alienated and hostile in mind, engaged in evil deeds... Yet He has now reconciled you in His fleshly body through death in order to present you before Him holy and blameless and beyond reproach. So that makes me think, it makes me ask the question to myself, did Christ die? Did Christ die so that the world could just keep doing what it was doing? So that everyone could be saved? No matter how they act, no matter how they respond? That's what some denominations teach, but that's not what the Word of God teaches. Did Christ die so that we could be baptized into that death and just continue to live the way we lived before that and make no changes in our life? 
That's the life that some Christians live. But God's Word doesn't teach that. God's Word says He died so that we could be transformed. From hostility to holiness is what we see in verses 21 to 20 and 22. And so when we read chapter 3, verse 5 through chapter 4, verse 1, let's read these words and view it sort of as a test. Can I read through these things and see if I am living a transformed life? If I am being moved from hostility, from enmity with God into holiness? I want to consider... Uh, and begin by just reading this section. And then we're going to kind of bounce around in it. Because I think there's a lot of things in this section that we really don't need to, to spend a whole lot of time on. We know what, what compassion is in verse 12. And kindness and, and, and humility. We know these things. So we're going to kind of bounce around considering that we probably have a good understanding of some of the words that we see here. But I want to begin just read through the whole section. Starting in verse 5 of chapter 3. Therefore consider the members of your earthly body as dead to immorality impurity, passion, evil desire, and greed, which amounts to idolatry. For it is because of these things that the wrath of God will come upon the sons of disobedience. And in them you also once walked when you were living in them. But now you also put them all aside, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and abusive speech from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, since you laid aside the old self with its evil practices, and have put on the new self, who is being renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him. A renewal in which there is no distinction between Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave and free man, but Christ is all and in all. So as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion and kindness, humility, gentleness and patience, bearing with one another, forgiving each other, whoever has a complaint against anyone, Just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. Beyond all these things, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called to one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you, with all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another with psalm and hymn and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Whatever you do, in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through Him to God the Father. Wives, be subject to your husbands as is fitting to the, in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be embittered against them. Children, be obedient to your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing to the Lord. Fathers, do not exasperate your children so that they will not lose heart. Slaves, in all things obey those who are your masters on earth, not with external service as those who merely please men, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, do your work heartily as for the Lord rather than for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of your inheritance. It is the Lord Christ whom you serve. For he who does wrong will, uh, will receive the consequences of the wrong which he has done, and that without partiality. Masters, grant to your slaves justice and fairness, knowing that you too have a master in heaven. I think the first question that I want to consider when we read this passage, and we think about the fact that Christ died so that we can be moved from hostility to holiness, we can be changed, we can be transformed, the first thing that I want to consider is why? Why be transformed? And that's what, Paul, that's what Paul addresses. He starts in verse 9 and verse 10. He says, because you are a new creation. 
At the end of verse 9, he says, after saying, do not lie, since you laid aside the old self with its evil practices and put on the new self who is being renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him. Now, I believe that statement that he makes there points all the way back to Genesis chapter 1 and verse 21. God created man in his own image. Male and female, he created them. That doesn't imply that our physical makeup is, that of, is like that of God's, but rather our spiritual makeup is that of God's. We have been made in the image of God, and sin came into the world, and sin wrecked that. And so we need to be transformed back into that image. In Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 through 20, we see that Christ was first in creation. We talked about that. It says that He is above all things that have ever been created. And we saw that He was first in life after death. Maybe we would say He is first in recreation. So then we need to see that as new creatures, a new creation, we are being made into something that is completely different than our old self. Paul says we need to be renewed. And that implies that we need to be made different. If we are being made in His image, we are being recreated, so we should be behaving in recreated sorts of ways. So for why be transformed? Because you're a new creation. You're supposed to be different. You're supposed to be transformed. Verse 17, he goes on to say, because you have a new master. There in verse 17, whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through Him to God the Father. This is one of these overarching passages that explains why we do everything we do. And now we went, for, we went here for years saying this is why we do things in the church the way that we do things in the church. Because we do everything in the name of the Lord. And that is absolutely true. But I want us to understand that's a secondary application. Because this is primarily talking to individuals at this point. Now everything that he says there does apply to the church, certainly. But the way that I live every single day Not just the things that I do in the church. The things that I do at home. The things that I do in work. The things that I do at school. The things that I do every every time that I have an opportunity to do something. I need to do those things with the authority of Christ. I need to do those things living as if I live under a new master. The primary meaning is then, I must, we must do everything in our talk and in our actions in the name of Lord Jesus. And so that means that my life and my actions, my words and my thoughts, they're governed under a new authority because I have a new master. And if my new master is not glorified, if my new master is not pleased with what I'm doing, then I'm not going to be doing that because I'm here to serve him. And that contrasts the old master. The old master, when I was an old creation, was me. I did what I wanted to do. I did what made me happy. I did what was good for me. But Paul is saying you've been transformed into a new creature and you serve a new master And so live for Him. Do all in His authority. And isn't that also what Paul says in in Colossians chapter 1 and verse 13? He says, He has rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of His beloved Son. I'm not the king of my kingdom anymore. I'm not the king of my castle. Jesus, the Christ, He is the king. I need to surrender myself to Him. In chapter 2, verse 19 says he is the head of the body. Again, that means we, sur- we have surrendered to a new head which directs our lives through his word in ways that are pleasing to him. So why be transformed? Because we're a new creation that has a new master and we have a new example. 
Now, we all have examples that we look to in our lives. A big example for me in my life has always been my grandparents, both on my mom's side and on my dad's side. I look to my grandparents. I I love that these four people were were Christ-centered examples. But maybe for, for other people, it's, it's a sports figure that has that overcome some, some great burden, uh, some great hurdle in their life. And they, they look to him and say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to be like that. Or, or some historical figure, maybe a president, maybe Abraham Lincoln. Maybe there's something that you look to and say, that's, that's the example of what I want to model myself after. I still model myself after my grandparents. I still look to the things they did. But I want to tell you, Colossians 3.13 tells us we have a better example We have a bigger example. He says there, bearing with one another and forgiving each other, who has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. Christ is our better example. Why do I need to be forgiving? Because that's what my role model did. Why do I need compassion? Why do I need kindness and humility? Why do I need to be gentle and patience and forbearing? Because that's what He did. In Colossians 3.1, if you've been raised up with Him, seek the things where He is. That tells me no longer am I measured up by the standard of my grandparents. I still love them. I still look at the things they do and and, and say those things are, are worth modeling, but that's not my standard anymore. My standard is Christ. My standard is Him. I don't want to be in the image of my grandparents. I want to be in the image of Christ. And I don't want to be described as someone that looks like Paul or Betty or someone looks like Bob or Dolores. I want to say that person looks like Christ. That person is emulating a better example. But we also need to note that we need to be transformed because we even have a new community. Paul saves this aspect of why be transformed to last. But I believe likely it was the first thing in his mind. He told us to be transformed Because we are a new creation with a new master and a new example. But through all of this, a new community is being referenced. Look at verse 9. In verse 9, he talks about one another. In verse 13, he talks about one another. In verse 16, he talks about one another. Over and over again, that thread is woven through everything that he's speaking about. We are a part of a new community. And we don't belong to the world anymore. We've been transformed. We've been transferred, as verse 13 said. And so wrapped up in this idea of uh, of having a new community is wrapped up in the idea of having new relationships and new connections because community matters to Christ. He is the head of the body. You know, it's interesting. They didn't describe Him as the head of the pinky toe, the head of the thumb, the head of some one part of the body. He is the head of the whole body. And so community matters to Him. And being a part of a new community means transforming the way that we act in our new community. But that's also what's fascinating to me about passages like chapter 3, verse 9. Again, chapter 3, verse 9, we read earlier, Do not lie to one another, since you laid aside the old self with its evil practices. Do not lie to one another. This The idea of new community. So... What does that mean about the old community? What does that mean about the world that we come out of? We, just, we can lie to them. We can tell all sorts of terrible things to them. We don't, it says there, forgive one another. So we just hold a grudge against this old community that we come out of? Well, no, of course not. Of course, that, that, that's not what it's saying. But that's what I find fascinating. Is we have been brought into a new community. And therefore, we are to represent that community to the rest of the world. If you want to flip over, we're not going to leave Colossians too many times. But if you want to flip over to 2 Corinthians for a moment. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And look in verses 17 through 20. 
It says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things passed away. Behold, new things have come. So here we have Paul speaking again to the, now he's speaking to the Corinthians, saying a lot of the same things that we read in Colossians. Now all these things, in verse 18, now all these things are from God who reconciled us to Himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, namely that God was in Christ, reconciling the world to Himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and He has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God were making an appeal through us, we beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. He made Him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf, so that we might become the righteousness of of God in Him. Paul says the same thing. You are a new creature. Thanks be to God for what He has done in Christ and now we are ambassadors. We are ambassadors. We are delegations from a new community of one anotherness. And that community, when we go out into the world, we represent that community and we represent Christ and we represent God and what He has done to transfer and to transform people's lives. And the most important part of this community, back over in Colossians, is found in verse 11. It says, A renewal of which there is no distinction between Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave and free man, but Christ is all and in all. Normal community distinctions don't apply in this new community. Race doesn't apply in this new community. Political stance doesn't apply in this new community. Economical, financial status doesn't apply in this new community. In this new community, we are all one in Christ, and He is one in us. And that means that we behave a certain way towards one another. I'm actually behaving. When I behave that way towards my brothers and brethren or my sisters, when I'm behaving that way, it tells me here I'm actually behaving that way towards Christ. If you attack and you cut down your brethren, you're attacking and you're cutting down the Lord. If you are patient and kind with brethren, maybe even when they don't seem to deserve that, you're being patient and kind towards Christ. Because Christ is, is in all and is all. It kind of makes you think back to Matthew chapter 25. Matthew chapter 25, when they said, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or strange or, or, or naked? When did we see you uh, <clears throat> excuse me, sick or in prison? And he said, to the extent that you did it or to the extent that you did not do it, even to the least of these, you did it or did not do it to me. Christ is all and in all. Christ is in this new community. And how we act towards one another is how we act towards Him. And so if we can't treat each other properly, if we can't treat each other with kindness, don't, prove, don't, don't fool ourselves. Don't fool yourself into thinking that somehow we're hanging on to Christ alone. Our minds aren't focused on things that are above. We can't have the same fights. We can't have the same envies. We can't have the same strifes and divisions as people in the world. And perhaps that's been one of the greatest tools of Satan is to keep people away from Christ so that when they turn to this new community, and in that new community, they see a reflection of things that are going on in the world. They see a people that are fighting and bickering with one another. They see a people that can't come together with unity, and they think that's exactly like what we see in the world. You ever wonder why people say, let's keep religion and politics out of this? Those two things should never come into contact with one another. Those two things should never be viewed as similar if we are all united in Christ. If He is in us as we are in Him. And for many, they can't see the difference in how each one of these two things acts. We are a part of a community of Christians. People in whom Christ dwells. And we must live like it. 
If we are going to make, and I tell you, we are going to make mistakes. We're going to make mistakes now. We're going to step on each other's toes. We're going to bump into each other. We're going to rub each other wrong. And we're going to press one another's buttons from time to time. And we're even going to get on each other's nerves. But how we react to that is going to tell us a lot about how we are being transformed by Christ. We must be changed. We must be transformed from hostility to holiness. But what is it that changes when we change? Well, in Colossians chapter 3, verse 5, we see one thing that changes is we change from taking to giving. In chapter, in, in chapter 3, verse 5, he says, Consider the members of your earthly body as dead to immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and greed, which amounts to idolatry. He's talking about here, when he says these things, he's talking about sexual sins, that immorality, impurity, these passions and evil desires. And he's, that's an idea of taking. Taking what I want. I want this. This is what the, the pleasure that I have. And I'll just take that. I'll take that without committing myself to, to what God has set aside for me to receive those things that I have a need for in marriage. I'll just take it the way I want it. But also it has, carries with the idea of taking material goods from, for those that are in greed. I see something I want and I'm just going to covet that and I'm going to take that. Those in the world, they see others as objects. Objects in which I can get what I want. Objects in which I can take what I need. But not us. Christians need to have a transformation so that they view people of the world not as something that they can take from, but something they can give in chapter 12, or verse 12 and verse 13. He says that those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion and kindness and humility and gentleness and patience, bearing with one another, forgiving each other, whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. Instead of taking, you give. Give compassion, give kindness, give forbearance or tolerance, give forgiveness. Think about this. If we are transformed into the image of the Son, who was an image of a servant, Matthew chapter 20, verse 28 tells us, He didn't come to, to serve, or He didn't come to be served, but to serve. When we sing that song, I, I think about it oftentimes, we sing that song, 10,000 Angels. He could have called 10,000 angels to destroy the world. He could have called 10,000 angels to, to set him free from that. And what would he have been doing? He would have been calling 10,000 angels to take the lives of everyone on earth. And said he gave his life. He gave his life for everyone on earth so that they could have life and have life abundant. If we are clinging to the head, we are going to, be, we are going to move from being takers and become givers. So we're to change from taking to giving. We're also to change from controlling to conceding. Again, in verses 8 and 9, uh, we see there that we are to, to put away some things. He says to, move, uh, to put away anger and wrath and malice, slander, abusive speech, lying. All of these are ways in which people manipulate and people dominate and people control other people. These are tactics that you say, when things aren't going my way, when I don't like the way things are going, I see that I can change that. By getting angry. I can change that by being wrathful and by threatening and using abusive language. I can change that by lying. I don't like what you said about me. I don't like what you did. I don't like the way that you looked at me. And so I'm going to smear your name. I'm going to lie and I'm going to rage and I'm going to threaten. And that's not to describe a Christian. Again, you might say that sounds a whole lot more like politics. Too often, though, that's the example that the world sees. I've set that example before. I'm ashamed of setting that example in our work, in our schools, in our families, and in our churches. We have to be transformed. 
from controlling and manipulating to conceding and submitting. Again, verse 12 talks about being humble and gentle and bearing with one another. We need to quit seeing ourselves as the boss and start seeing ourselves as the example that Christ left, as the servant. No more raging. Instead, humbling ourselves and submitting to one another. Walking in gentleness in our words and actions. Bearing with one another. Even when they don't act the way that, that I wish they would act, act the way that I want them to act, if that's towards me, talk about living in a forbearing sort of way and don't confuse me. I think sometimes we bring up forbearance and, and sometimes we think, oh, this guy just wants to tolerate sin. That's not what I'm saying. We cannot tolerate sin. That's made abundantly clear. But Jesus allowed gentleness and humility to lead him to the cross so that he could die, not ignore, but do something about sin in the world. And if he is in me and I am him and I am not being controlled by anger and wrath, then I'm going to put on gentleness and I'm going to put on humility and I'm going to put on forbearance. We're also moved away from contention to conciliation. All of this controlling leads to division. It leads to fighting. Verse 11 speaks of the issues of that day. You had Jews versus Greeks. You had circumcised versus uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free man. You had all of these things that, that were points of contention. Today, we might say it's black versus white. Or it's Republican versus Democrat. Or it's, maybe it's homeschooler versus private schooler. I don't know. We might even say it's UK versus U of L. But there's things that divide us. I would say there's probably not too many people in here that are for U of L, so maybe that's not a great argument. But we have to come together. We have to, to be cons- consolated with one another. The divisions don't need to divide. That doesn't mean they're not there. It doesn't mean that they're not there. There may be someone that's, we homeschool our children. Some of you public school your children. That doesn't mean to be a division against us. We don't need to be divided over these things. Because we are all in Christ, and Christ is in all. And that means Christ is, is even in the Republicans and He's in the Democrats. And He's in everyone who's black and those who are white. And He's in the Christians that are for U of L, wherever they are. He's in all of us. Colossians 3.15 says we allow the peace of Christ to rule in our hearts because that peace has made us one body. That means we're all together. We're woven and we're we're. we're not divided. We're being built up by Christ. We're being pulled together by Christ. So let's quit letting division and contention pull that apart if we're being transformed. We're trying to reconcile that. To bring our divisions and, and say that we may have them and it's okay to talk about them. It's the only way that we ever have can come to one mind is to discuss these things. But we're going to make sure that we're not going to let divisions pull us apart. Again, we're not talking about sin. We're talking about the things that, are, that, that creep up in this world that, pull, that separate us. And this topic does get hairy because, because we, we, we feel like we just can't sacrifice everything for peace. And that's absolutely true. We can't sacrifice truth for peace. We can't sacrifice the role of women in the church for peace. We can't sacrifice the, the uh, use of instrumental music in the worship service for peace. We have to be ruled. By the king. That means he has authority. And that means he's the one that dictates how we do things. Like we read in 1 Corinthians, or excuse me, in, in Colossians 3.17. We do do things all through, through his authority. But we must remember, if we are being ruled by the peace of Christ, 
while we won't allow those things to, to occur, we also will not justify the mistreatment of other brethren who are maybe being mis, uh, mistreated over misspoken words, mistreated over misunderstood thought, thoughts. In the past, in the church of Christ, there have been bullying, there have been labels, there have been blacklists, there have been many things for people who, who, who just spoke their mind to say, this is what I think. And while it may have been wrong, we come together and we talk and we study and there may be a time where we have to separate. But we've, we, we've done so much so that, that for young preachers like myself, I guess I can call myself a young preacher. I hope I can still call myself a young preacher. Sometimes we're afraid to speak our thoughts. We're afraid to say the things that we think. It's one of the, I had an opportunity to, to, to study with some, some young preachers over this week. And one of the things that got brought up is that half the things that I'm thinking, I'm afraid to say because the elders of my congregation, they may, they may fire me just because I think these things. I'm working through these things trying to understand God's Word. That's what, that's what contention has brought us. When we look at things that sometimes can divide, the role of women in the church, allowing women to preach and allowing women to, to usurp authority, as God has said ought not to be in the church, that can divide. But we need to be able to come to one, together to one another. We need to live transformed lives and say, I don't want to live in contention. I'm not looking forward to that. I'm not, I'm not just looking for an opportunity for that. I want to be reconciled together. I want to be concealed with one another in Christ. And that's the kind of, that's the kind of attitude that we're changing towards. Not tolerating sin, but tolerating people that are sometimes going to sin, trying to do what's right, and trying to bring them to the love of Christ. You see, Jesus didn't do that. He didn't just tolerate sin in the world. But when brethren have disagreements, when brethren have divisions, we are good for us to remember that we are ruled and we are governed and we are persuaded by the peace of Christ. Let that move us. Let that control the way that we think. And maybe if that's controlling the way we think, that'll help us to change from this last one, from entitlement to thankness, thankfulness. Now I'm going to say I tried really hard to come up with C words for all of these, and I don't have the mentality to do that. I don't know what C word I could have used for entitlement or taking or giving. You all maybe are smarter than me. But entitlement to thankfulness. I wanted these to be very easily, easy to remember. And, and almost everything that we've talked about this morning, almost everything that we've said, the, the taking, the controlling, the contention, the, the, the fighting, comes from an attitude of entitlement. Comes from an attitude of, I am owed something. And whatever it is, I will get it. I will take it. I will take it if I have to anger and I have to wrath and if I have to use abusive language and deceit. If, if, if I, I want... Something that somebody else has, I'm going to be greedy over it. And if I want something that's in the world, I'm just going to take those things because I'm entitled to have that. Three times, Paul says, instead of having an entitled attitude, we should be thankful. In chapter 3, verse 15, he says, Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Verse 16, let the word of Christ richly dwell within you with all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Sing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, verse 17, in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to Him for Him to God the Father. This attitude is at the opposite end of the spectrum from entitlement. If someone gives something to me, if someone gives something to me that I deserve, if, you know, we had a few months ago, we had someone come on our carport and stole my weed eater. 
grabbed a weed eater, walked off with it, never seen it since then. If they've come back and say, you know, here's your weed eater back, I'm not going to probably say thank you to them. I'm probably going to say, why did you take that? Why did you come to my house? Why did you come on my porch and take my stuff? If someone gives you something that, that you deserved, it's usually not the, the response that we go straight to is to say thank you. But when someone gives you something that you don't deserve, when someone gives you something that is just completely out of the question and, 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 and belonging to you and you deserving, thankfulness is expected in that sort of circumstance. So if we are called to be thankful people, if over and over again Jesus is saying you need to be thankful through the mouth of Paul, you need to be thankful people, what should that tell us about our sense of entitlement? Turn over to John chapter 11 for just a moment. John chapter 11, verse 41. <clears throat> John chapter 11, in verse 41, I want you, as we read this, to ask yourself, did Jesus feel entitled? John chapter 11, verse 41 says, So they removed the stone. Jesus raised his eyes and said, Father, I thank that you, I, I thank you that you have heard me. Verse 42, I know that you always hear me, but because of the people standing around, I said it so that they may believe that you sent me. Jesus, God the Son, part of the Godhead, created the world, sustains the world. He didn't feel entitled that God should just hear him. He said, God, thank you. Thank you for hearing me. He knew the Father would hear him. And yet he was thankful for his listening. If we adopt this mindset, the impact that that has on the way we react and the way that we don't react when we don't get what we want, mimicking the example of our Lord. If I'm going to dwell in Christ and he's going to dwell in me, then I need to be a thankful person. So when I don't get the things that I want, when I don't get the things that I feel are rightfully mine, I need to still have a thankful attitude. Remembering that I'm trying to be like a servant. I'm trying to, to be like Christ who didn't just serve. He suffered things that he did not deserve. And yet he still did so thankful to God. So let's apply this really quick. To end this argument, Paul shows the ways in which this change can be illustrated in very practical ways in our lives. Ways that affect a majority of people. Not just a few people in, in Colossae, but people throughout the world. You are either in a spousal relationship or a parent-child relationship or a master-slave relationship. And before we go any farther, I want to talk about this because the master-slave relationship is not an employee-employer relationship. We need to make that very clear. It is not an employee-employer relationship. Employers do not look at their employees the same way that I look at my lawnmower. Employers do not look at their employees as if they have no value in life. Masters looked at their slaves that way. Masters looked at a slave as someone that I own, belongs to me, my property. That is who he's talking to here. That being said, it is applicable in employer-employee relationships, but that's not what he's talking about. When we look at it that way, we lose just a little bit of the, the radicalness of what he's saying. And we have no time to try and impact to try and unpack all of the stuff that, that we could unpack about master and slave relationships and what the Bible has done for slavery and what that means to us. But let's do understand that. And when he talks about the master-slave relationship, he's talking about a much, much more restricting relationship than just someone who has entered into by agreement, I will work for you. These are people that don't have a choice in what's going on. 
So that being said, let's notice just a few things about Paul, what Paul says about this transformation and application. Number one, the roles are independent of one another. When he talks about husbands, they are not told to love their wives as long as their wives submit to them. And wives, you are not told submit to your husbands as long as they are not embittered or harsh, harsh towards you. Children, likewise, they don't say obey your, your parents um, because they are good parents. And parents, you're not told don't mistreat your children because they're just awesome children. We're not to fulfill our role because of the other person has done something to deserve it. That's not how this works. That's how the world works. You scratch my back, I'll scratch your back. That's not how we are to work in this. We are to fulfill our role not because of what they have done. We are to fulfill the role that we've been given because of what Christ has done. Because He is our, our, our example. He is our King. He is the one that we are looking to for our authority. He's the center of our love and submission and obedience. And so let's treat one another in these same ways. So they're not in, they are independent of one another, but they are not setting a value. Sometimes we get that. We, we lose that in this. You look at that and say, okay, Paul is saying that men are more valuable than women. Parents are more valuable than children. Masters are more valuable than slaves. It couldn't be farther from that. There is a hierarchy, though. We have to notice that in these roles. Of course, there's a hierarchy. It's, it's impossible not to see that. Wives submit to husbands. Children obey parents. Slaves obey masters. There's a hierarchy that he's setting, but there's no more value placed on husband, parent, and master than on wife, children, and, and slave. They are all... They are all one in Christ, and Christ is in them, as he said there in, in, in verse 11. For example, uh, in fact, if anything, the higher up that hierarchy you go, the lower you are called to look and expected to humble yourself. If the wife is called to submiss, uh, submission to her husband, so hierarchy, in, in the hierarchy, the husband is set over the, the wife, but yet the husband has said, you don't treat her like a tyrant. You need to be mindful of her. Now that is radical thinking in the minds of this first century. If you are higher ranked, you are higher value. You don't care about who's below you. There's your subordinate. Paul says that is not the case. They are just as important as you are. So even though I may have, God may have placed you in, in, this, in this role, you still look at them and realize you can't allow that to change the way that you act. He says that husbands, you can't be a tyrant. Children, you obey your parents, but parents, you've got to take care of these children. Slaves, obey your masters, but masters, you can't be arbitrary. The one in authority is the one that sees the, is called to see the immense value of the one who is listed as a subordinate under them. So these are not setting roles. They are not setting values. They are merely setting roles in which we are called to walk in. And these roles are personal responsibilities. Again, Paul says, wives be subject, not husbands, subject your wives. Paul says, wives, uh, or husbands, love your wives, not wives, force your husband to love you. And even when it comes to children, while we are called to train them up, and certainly that does include level of, of disciplining our children so that they know it, that you need to obey us and they need to learn in the Lord that you are to obey your, your, your parents, even though we see things like that, the responsibility is personal. Children, you are to obey your parents because that's what you have been called to do. Parents, you are to love your children, not children. You are to make your parents love you. Unfortunately, we see a lot of that in the world today. Holiness. That's what Christ died to bring out of us and to transform us into. And holiness looks to itself. Holiness doesn't look to someone else and say, you're not doing. There's something not right in this relationship, and so you're not doing your part. Holiness says, 
in this relationship, things maybe aren't what they are. How can I do my part better? How can I be more like Christ? Holiness still tries to encourage and tries to exhort and tries to admonish, but holiness is so far from hostility. Holiness doesn't look to someone else and say, hey, you've got to get with the picture. You've got to do these things or, or you're not living this life. Holiness says, how can I live this life better? To encourage them and set the example for them to live their role. And lastly, these roles are all about Jesus. Verse 18, wives, subject your, uh, be subject to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Children, be obedient to your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing to the Lord. Slaves, in all things, obey those who are your masters on earth, not with external service as those who merely please men, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. In chapter 4, verse 1, masters, grant to your slaves justice and fairness, knowing that you too have a master in heaven. If we are hanging on to Christ, if we are hanging on to Him alone, and if He is dwelling in us and us in Him, it will change how we act as the head of a relationship. It will change our submission. It will change our obedience. And, and, and we don't make our marriages work because of just how awesome our spouse is. And we don't maintain our relationships because just how awesome our children or our parents or, or the master or maybe an employer situation, if we want to go that way, we don't do these things because of who they are we do it because God is good. God is good all the time. And He has made it possible for us to be transformed into the kingdom of His Son. And we can have sin cut from our life. We can be buried with Christ. We can be raised up as a new creation. We can be made in the image of Him. And we can be transformed. And when I think of that idea of transformed, I think of a butterfly. And when you've seen that, this ugly little nasty caterpillar. I mean, they're, they're gross looking. Uh, if you think they're cute, I'm sorry, I don't. I think they're ugly. This hairy little worm crawling around on the ground. How it can change from that, and well, not exactly like this one, but, but into a butterfly, into something that's beautiful and flies. I don't fully understand that. I know how, I, I, I remember studying that in science class, but that still just kind of blows my mind how that ugly little thing can go into a, a butterfly. We can be transformed. From, from hostility, from fighting and from bickering and my way has got to be the way and I want everything to Christ as the head. I will serve Him. I will follow Him. I will submit myself. We can be holy. We can be sanctified. We can be justified. We can be pure in Christ. And that's what we want to help you do here this morning at the Lake Street Church of Christ. We want to help you. Maybe you've been thinking about that lately. What kind of relationship do I have with Christ? What kind of relationship do I want with Christ? Do I want a hostile relationship with the King? Or do I want a holy relationship with the King? When we think about that, think about our relationship with Christ as we do with anyone. If we want to draw closer to our wives, if we want to draw closer to a friend, what do we do? We spend time with them. If we want to grow closer to them, we get to know them. We know what they like, what they don't like. And then we probably, if we want a good relationship, we don't do the things that they don't like to do. I know the things that Holly doesn't like to do, and I just, I'm not jumping up and down saying, hey, let's do this and let's do that. That sounds like a lot of fun. I know those, there's things she doesn't like, and I, I want to try to not do those things. If we want to get to know Christ better. I invite us to do that, to study His Word together to find out what He has called us to be, to find out what He has called us from, and to make a decision that He is going to be the King. We can be transferred into that kingdom, and we can, we can begin serving Him 
I invite you to dwell in Him and allow Him to dwell in you, to be transformed by the burying of our old life in baptism, by being, as, as we go down into the water, is as if we are being buried with Him as He was buried in the ground. And as He was risen to a new life, we are risen, as Paul said here in Colossians, as new creatures, transformed creatures. And if you would like to do that this morning, you have the opportunity. The only thing that could possibly be stopping you is yourself. But maybe for some of us this morning, we've made that decision. But we realize that while we were transformed, we've been slowly degrading back. We've been going back to the caterpillar. We've been going back to that hostile man against God. I pray that we will allow the words of Christ to richly dwell in us. Press within our hearts a desire towards change. And if we can help you with that this morning, won't you please let that be known. Come forward as we stand and as we sing.